Welcome. I'm Dr. Liz, an entrepreneur, speaker, podcaster, mom, and wife. This podcast is about hypnosis, but also about all kinds of ways to help you live your fullest life, to heal, transform, to play the long game and go after the joy. You can see more about me at drlizhypnosis.com. Hop over there to get a free hypnosis file to decrease fear and anxiety or one to increase emotional stability. They're there just for you. I hope you enjoy the podcast as much as I do. Peace. Hi everyone, Dr. Liz here. My guest today is Pamela Selig. She began her yoga journey more than 25 years ago when an illness interrupted her Wall Street career. She began meditating and then eventually became certified as a yoga teacher and opened a yoga studio in her community, Lotus Mind and Body. Although she sold the yoga studio eventually, she still teaches meditation and wrote a book called The Threads of Yoga, Themes, Reflections, and Meditations to Weave into Your Practice, a guide for students and teachers inspired by the Yoga Sutras. This is a really beautiful book, and you'll hear me say that when I welcome Pamela to the podcast. It's easy to read. It has relatable examples. It has practices at the end of the chapters, which are optional. And I really loved it. I highly recommend it. So let's jump into the interview. Hi, Pamela. Welcome to the Hypnotize Me podcast. Hello. Thank you so much for having me on. Absolutely. I loved your book. Loved it. And I have read many, many, many yoga books <laughs> because I, I taught myself um, for almost 20 years. And then, um, so I still have like a whole bookshelf of yoga books, but I haven't read one, I think for a while, but I was like, when it, when you're, um, reached out and said, I, I said, I would love to interview her and please send me a copy of the book because it makes the interview go a little bit easier. And I notated it and <laughs> put some meditations that I want to do. And um, I love how you put like quotes to contemplate and the different practices in Savasana. So that was really unusual. I don't think I've really ever seen that in a yoga book before, honestly, and really, really loved it. I also love how it was broken into the different sections so that you you talked about the yamas and the niyamas, and then also the chakra practices. So I felt like it was really comprehensive, but very relatable, very readable. So I, I do want the audience to know that. So how did you decide to write it? Well, like you, I've read a lot of yoga books <laughs> and there's some great yeah. books out there, no doubt. Um, but when I was a new teacher, so like 15 years ago, a while ago now, I was always looking for a book to help me bring in like the wisdom, the philosophy part that I think students really crave. And um, I really had trouble finding a book that just focused on that in, you know, sort of manageable, uh, accessible ways, you know, how to teach this profound information, but in modern language. And then it sort of morphed over time where I had, you know, so many friends and students who wanted to learn more than what you can typically hear or teach in a class. Like, I'd like to know a little more about this 
present moment awareness or you know why would you practice silence um and asking for books and i you know i i thought there might be a, a need for that so i i um i decided to write it and thoroughly enjoyed the process actually oh wonderful wonderful yeah. have you written before no not officially you know i've always kept mm-hmm. journals and most jobs that I've had, I ended up being the person that would do the writing part. Mm-hmm. I've always loved to write. So it felt pretty natural. Okay. Okay. It's surprising to hear a lot of authors will tell you, oh my God, it's the worst process ever, you know, <laughs> and it's so hard and all of this stuff. So I, I'm glad you enjoyed it. Um, so you owned a yoga studio for almost 10 years, right? Yeah. Yes, okay. I, we, I, I sold it in 2018, not realizing what was coming with the pandemic. So, mm-hmm. um, but it's still, it's still going strong. A good friend actually bought it and um, she made it through the pandemic. So she's doing, she's doing a great job. Yeah. Amazing. I sold my, my yoga business in 2016. And when the pandemic hit, I thought, oh my, I am so grateful not to have a yoga business right now because mm-hmm. it was so difficult for people. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So what was it like for you as a yoga student versus a studio owner? Well, I um, really started practicing yoga or more meditation back in the 90s. So it was a long time ago. And I really, I was, I had a, like many people, an illness that brought me to meditation Mm. and you know, I really wouldn't have gone in that direction, I think, unless I was sort of desperate um, and found that I loved it and never, ever thought of teaching. Mm-hmm. Um, eventually got into the postures, which I absolutely loved, a, a spiritual practice that included movement was amazing to me. Um, so you didn't, years, you didn't start with the postures? I did not, which oh, is so unusual, I know, in our, very. In our culture. Yeah. yeah. Um, I started with meditation. Oh, and, okay. Yeah. But and, from like uh, a yoga perspective, because there's all kinds of meditation, but although in the nineties, it yeah. really was, and I started in the nineties too. I think I, I took my first class in 1997, I think it was. Yeah. So meditation really was associated more with yoga. Yeah. Right. And I didn't, I didn't know that at the time it was actually late eighties and I had Bell's palsy which is when half your face is paralyzed. All of a sudden it's not Mm life-threatening. Most people recover. But my doctor said, you know, there's nothing to do. No, no therapy. You just have to wait. He sort of was very kind and said, have you tried meditation? Mm. And I had not, but I, I tried it, loved it and didn't realize that that was a central aspect of yoga. Mm -hmm. Not for a couple of years. Did I know that? I started to have some experiences that I didn't understand in meditation Mm -hmm. and asking people, like I had a friend who was into energy healing. I asked her and she said, study yoga and you'll see what's happening. Mm. And uh, I was like, yoga, that's strange. (laughs) I thought that was bendy postures. But of course, when I read the texts, these sort of older texts I was reading then, I found that what I was experiencing was very normal in the yoga world. So that really spurred me on to learn more. And I became fascinated and a little annoyed that I didn't know any of this. Mm. You know, it seemed like very practical, helpful information True. for living 
in the mm-hmm. modern world. And yet I had never heard that there's these breathing practices, etc. Mm-hmm. So so that's what really, you know, made me turn kind of my life in this direction. And um, eventually, many mm-hmm. years later, just want to share it and teach it and write about it. Mm-hmm, for sure. What were the unusual experiences? Well, for me, it started as, um, and I was meditating because I couldn't go to work or watch TV. This was pre-internet. Mm-hmm. I was meditating for hours. Whoa. And I didn't know. I didn't know that you did like now I teach meditation and uh-huh. I tell people five minutes. To <laughs> totally start. right. I tell Ten people minutes. five minutes all the time. Yes. <laughs> right? I didn't know that. I would sit and do my thing, type A personality, really, you know, unbalanced uh-huh. at that time. Um, but um I started to see lights like behind my eyelids, mm-hmm. almost like a light show. And then I would open my eyes and I would see lights in the room. Mm-hmm. And I went to the eye doctor because I thought something could be wrong and nothing was wrong. When I read about in these yoga texts uh, and I learned about prana Mm -hmm. and how that moves and how you can, many people see it often, especially when a lot of meditation is happening. I started to hear sounds that were at first, I thought they were outside sounds, but they Mm -hmm. weren't. I -hmm. read about them. So I knew that what I was reading was true because I was actually experiencing it. Interesting. I probably wouldn't have believed it necessarily if it wasn't occurring. And I learned how to sort of manage it, how to settle it down oh. through postures, through breath, uh-huh. uh, that this was like scattered energy that was, I just needed to settle. Uh-huh. So it was, it was very fascinating and, um, you know, a process over many years. Yes. Yes. And prana is really like energy in the, in the body for people who don't know listeners who don't know that, that yogic term. Um, and that is, that is really funny. Like actually went to the doctor and and thought something was wrong. (laughs) Like what's going on here? And And I remember when I explained to him, he like took his clipboard out and started writing notes. And I thought, Oh no, he thinks I'm nutty. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, so, you know, when I read about it, it was very, it it relaxed me. I was okay. (laughs) I'm sure it was reassuring. Like, oh, these are pretty normal. I mean, not normal, but you know, these are experiences that happen in meditation with lots of meditation that aren't necessarily abnormal. Exactly. Exactly. And, and I, that's really what I think about yoga is, you know, as I've gone along my yoga journey, it feels like it is very natural. You know, we may not know about, say, mantra, Mm -hmm. but actually, we all sort of say things and repeat things to ourselves to calm ourselves down anyway. It's sort of this natural. And then knowing a mantra, practicing mantra is just an organized way to do what comes natural. Even the poses, little Mm -hmm. kids, you see, they they run around and they do these postures naturally. They do. Um, They hang off upside down off the side of the bed, you Mm -hmm. know, when they're goofing around because it feels good. Yes. And we just do that. If you do that, as you you know get older, you get the same benefits. Absolutely. Uh, in an organized way. Yes. Yeah. I, I wasn't in this yoga class, but one of my friends was, um, and she came and told me the story of the teacher said at the end of the class, we're going to say one of the most common mantras in the modern day. And he goes, 
happy birthday to you. It was his birthday Aww. that day. We do have these mantras that we don't, we don't recognize them as such, right? But exactly. they are there. They are there. And absolutely often when I work with people in, in my private practice, we'll come up with a phrase that does help calm them down. And I'm, I'm always saying, you've just got to find the right phrase. And that can become a mantra, quote unquote, that you say like, okay, everything is going to calm down. I will be okay. A common one is, well, even if this does happen, then I'm going to be able to manage through it. I'm sure I'll handle it because a lot of anxiety is created thinking you can't handle something or you're not going to get through it or you know, even saying like, oh my God, I would just die if that happened, but nobody does, right? Like <laughs> when it actually happens, it's like, eh, we actually have quite a um, firm life force going on in us that that helps keep most of us alive. Um, yeah. So, yeah. I, I just read um, with the new year, it was, in the, it was the New York Times, one of the articles said uh, to pick a word for the new year, just a word, mm-hmm. not a word that you'll you can like fail at like diet yeah <laughs> but a word <laughs> right. that's sort of like a theme for the year yes and um I think her word was grow uh another one that was popular this year was slow oh because I love that one uh-huh. but it's sort of like when I read it of course there was no mention of the word mantra but it was like to remind yourself throughout the year and I think words phrases have an energy Mm-hmm. That's what yoga teaches. So when we even just say the word, there's we get that energetic vibration, affects every cell in our body, mm-hmm. and that's on a positive or negative. So we have to be careful what we say. Absolutely. So it's just bringing, I think, bringing awareness is really what yoga does. Bringing awareness into our thoughts, our words, our yes. actions eventually. And yes. it's the practice of that. Yes, wonderful. Yeah, I don't I don't always jump on the the word um word of the year thing. <laughs> I have heard of it. But this year I decided my word was trust. So oh. yeah, I trust on a more spiritual level, trust on yeah. a more personal level, like like yes, okay, I'm just gonna trust that I'm doing the right actions for myself, for my loved ones, for my professional career. So yeah, it is an, an energetic thing, I think, that vibrates in the body. And it does become a mantra. Yeah. And it can mm-hmm. change over time, different years, different feelings. Mm-hmm. So I think it's nice. <laughs> well, I really love how you gave at the end of the chapters uh, a possible mantra, mm-hmm. as well as poses that could go along with it and meditations like it all seemed very cohesive for me to have that like at the end of a chapter saying okay I can flip to an end of a chapter and see an easy mantra because I I know a lot of these um from doing yoga for teaching yoga for so long and for doing it but sometimes you freak you start to forget you you have your like standard mantra and then you somehow I don't know forget about the other ones. Honestly, for me, I speak from my own personal experience. So they were really nice reminders as I read through the book of, oh, these are such lovely, lovely mantras here that I could turn to. And I think I tried to make it so you can pick and choose. It wasn't like, 
You have mm-hmm. to do anything. We are, we're all busy. Like I, I didn't want to write like a book that was sort of like, do this or add this to your schedule. Mm-hmm. Like, no, yes. it's, these are practices that as you're driving or as you're walking and what feels good for, for you at this time. And, you know, you mentioned Savasana and I did put one in every chapter, which is a, a relaxation, a conscious relaxation, because I do think we all need more rest mm-hmm. and we all need help with that because like you said, sometimes you forget. I think we all, it's, we're in this busy culture mm-hmm. and it pull, it constantly pulls us away from this quiet within. Yeah. So we need to re-inspire ourselves and re-remember it's already there, but we just get distracted. So, and it's fun to be creative and find new ways and change it up every once in a while to remember that we have this quiet within and there's different ways that we can reconnect. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I was reading along thinking this is a really lovely book for teachers to be able to use in their classes, but also just to read it as someone who just wants to practice yoga or practice meditation, or even just practice um, the rest savasana. Typically in yoga, we do the postures first and then we do savasana, but I was like, this would be great just just for some rest, right? Right. (laughs) These are really wonderful. Um, I thought your chapter on silence was very funny. Okay. Like... It was like torturous. <laughs> and I have a very, a very good friend who's been on, she probably goes twice a year to the 10 day silent meditation retreats. And when people ask her about it, she says, there's never silence. Okay. The mind never stops. Right. She's talking about the thoughts in her mind. And so I thought it was really funny to see that reflected in your chapter on silence, how you went to this silent retreat and the thoughts we're all there. <laughs> you know, and I started, I just had one faux pas after another, uh-huh. like spilling a tray of food, drinking the fresh juice that was only for the people fasting. Uh-huh. Like, and I could never apologize because <laughs> you weren't allowed to talk. Yes. So I was just like this person that I knew everyone thought was person that was taking advantage and, oh, and I just couldn't handle it. I could, you know, I couldn't handle being seen as that. Mm-hmm. That was, I guess, my lesson for the retreat. So I have <laughs> yeah, to right. come to terms with, yes, you are the person in the room that's making all the mistakes, isn't a nice person, <laughs> or looks like not a nice person, and you're just going to have to be okay with that. <laughs> uh-huh. Yes. Well, yeah. Don't make people like you all the time. It's not that, <laughs> it's not that important. Yeah. yeah, a very big like message for your ego. Yeah. It was. Oh, it was, mm-hmm. but it was torturous for those. The first three days were torture. And then when I realized I got the joke in a way, and then I could just rest and relax and mm-hmm. notice my thoughts in a way that there was no external ex- distractions, like in the real world, real life, mm-hmm. it was transformative. What I was amazed at was how immature my thoughts were. Mm-hmm. You know, when I really watched them, the judgments I had of myself and others seemed very immature, which I just would not have realized. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize how much I was seeking approval and judging others. And when I realized that, I just took a breath and thought, wow, that is a lot of wasted energy. 
Yeah. There's nothing, yeah. there's no benefit to judging others or seeking approval. It, it, it's just wasting your life force. Mm-hmm. So that helped me so much. Of course, there was time to work on after that. It's not like uh-huh. I stopped yes. judging or stopped right. seeking approval, but at least I knew I was. Yes. So it, and then I could, I could start to uh, notice and then maybe start to adjust. Mm-hmm. So it was so helpful. But mm-hmm. uh, it, it was, it took a while. It definitely <laughs> yeah. took a while. And I think that is a common experience that often that inner critical voice is from adolescence or sometimes, I mean, sometimes in my practice will work, work with the different voices and there's the small child voice that often is wanting comfort or some kind of um, structure or direction. And then there's the adolescent voice that generates all of these thoughts and often actions. And then we have that grown-up voice, but sometimes it's that grown-up voice isn't well-developed. And so we've got to like tap into it and say, okay, what would my my grown-up self do here to even comfort my adolescent or my my inner child? And I think mm-hmm. it is very common to to feel like, oh, those inner voices are just so young. Like, what am I doing? Right. Yeah. Even though I'm, I'm in a like 40-year-old body or something, it's like the voice that's driving everything is 13. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's so, I think it's so powerful when you gain that awareness, whether through hypnotherapy, forms of meditation, being silent. I think it's, um, yeah, it's just, it's just amazing. I, uh, I guess that's self-exploration, you know, know thyself, um, looking within. If we don't make the conscious effort, I think you go through life without ever, most people go through life without ever, you know, stopping, taking that breath and turning the attention inward. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's. I think it does take conscious effort Mm -hmm. for someone to say, okay, I am going to do that. I know it takes conscious effort for myself. Like I, I track my meditation and tracking, it helps me actually do it because I'm very checkmark driven, right? Like I like to check mm-hmm. off the box, you know, but it actually does help me then go inside and take the space, but it is an absolute conscious effort that people have to make. Absolutely. I agree with you there. And for me, that to me, that's, that's what yoga is, the practice of mm-hmm. going inward and, and becoming more aware And I felt that um, a lot of people don't know that that's what yoga is. For sure. For sure. Even my husband, I was talking to him about the book yesterday and um, we've been married three years. So he's the second and um, I call him the newer, the newish husband. (laughs) It's really like three years, not that new anymore. But he was saying, oh, I think yoga is just like an exercise system to stretch your body. And I was like, no, actually, it's a lot more than that. But I think to even him being married to me, but he's he's never really been married to me as a yoga teacher, but it's still very much part of my life. I still practice several times a week, but all of this stuff, even being married to me, he didn't have this awareness that it is very much an inner practice, a spiritual practice. It's not just the physical yeah, that's that's really the driving force of of the book was to help people understand that. And the postures, I don't want to discount those because they're important. I mean, for a lot of people, oh, yeah. that's the first time they feel that embodied awareness within the yes. body. They bring their attention into the body out of the thoughts. 
So yes. it's a great way to become aware of doing these postures. That's not why you do, you don't do the postures to get flexible or to get stronger. That does happen, mm-hmm. but you do the postures to quiet the mind mm-hmm. and tap into that true nature as yes. the ancient texts call it. Yeah. Tap into your inner true nature. Yes. Yeah. To stop the chatter. I had a friend who recently started doing yoga like last year and she said, the chatter goes the whole time. I can't do this. I can't do that. I'm doing this wrong. I'm doing, and I'm like, all right, just stick with it because eventually it does become such a peaceful practice. I speaking from personal experience, but most yoga teachers feel this way is why we teach, right? Like Mm -hmm. if we didn't truly get to that type of feeling, we probably wouldn't stick with it. But I was like, stick with it because the quietness does come eventually. It is to tap into that inner nature. Absolutely. And um, there was another, what is the other thing? Someone else had told me they don't go to yoga because they end up crying. And I was like, Mm -hmm. oh, like FYI, like I would say many of my major life decisions have been made in a yoga class with me crying, like the energy moving through the body. And I had the same teacher for many, many years and, um, you know, she would just go right with it. Right. It wasn't like, stop the class. Elizabeth's crying. It's like, no, like this is the process of yoga, tapping into that energy, letting it flow through you, letting the quietness come and the clarity, the clarity that came like, oh, this is the decision I need to make. That was like, I think crying can be a spiritual practice, a very powerful one when the energy's moving. Emotion oh move. I love that, Pamela. I I have a hard time crying. Like I, I am the reluctant crier. I love what you just said. Crying yeah. can be a spiritual practice in it itself. Sh- I think it really can be. Um, sometimes yeah. it's awkward. I sometimes if I'm teaching, some, I'll I'll get choked up, especially when I talk about some of the the ancient texts. When I talk about the Yoga mm-hmm. Sutras, because they're so powerful to me and they help mm-hmm. me so much. So if I talk about them, sometimes I'll get like a like that for clipped feeling. Yeah. And I, I could see my students get awkward and I'll say, you know, don't worry. Sometimes when I touch truth, when I get close to truth, for me, it feels uh, I can. it's a choked up feeling. That means I'm getting below, below the surface. So I'm not afraid of it anymore. So if I start, you know, if I start crying, it's okay. Beautiful. <laughs> yeah. But I try not to do it. I did do it on one podcast. <laughs> <laughs> No, occasionally I cry on my own podcast. So I used to edit that out originally and I'm like, I'm not editing that out anymore. You know, that is an important process for people to hear. And it's funny because those are sometimes the most commented on episodes. People will be like, I heard you cry. It it touched my heart so much, you know? Right, right. You can't fake that. And it's, you know, when you care about something Mm -hmm. and I think in our culture, showing emotions has been looked down upon it's getting better Mm -hmm. but you know you got to have that stiff upper lip and you have you can't show emotions especially things at things like work or and i don't think that's a great idea like who's who made that rule yes agreed agreed uh, 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 no i think things are changing and i think we we are the ones that are can change that Mm -hmm. yes (laughs) and i think everyone can it's just part of Yes. Yeah. It's funny because the the thought that ran through my mind was like, particularly as women, 
but then it's like, no, actually, particularly as men, like both, you know, both genders. Let's, let's throw non-binary in there too. I'm trying to be more inclusive in my language these days, but it's like, we right. are humans and right. there has been such um, a shutdown of emotions, of feeling and move towards logic and analysis and that type of thing versus an integration of those. And yeah, it's yeah. okay to, to show emotion sometimes and in public. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. true. It's it's the natural process coming out of survival mode, mm-hmm. you know, expanding our, our emotional abilities and, and just being feeling safe. I think it it's just part of it. And yes. I, I feel I know that we're in a negative time and it feels very chaotic right now, mm-hmm. but I feel a lot of hope. I feel mm-hmm. like the change is happening and, and we are all there's there is an expansion. And there's many resisting that, you know, mm-hmm. it's because status quo is safe. But I do think it's it's going to happen. It's too late. We're all yeah. expanding. <laughs> that <laughs> so is true. Yes. <laughs> yeah. You mentioned. I don't. I don't know. Um, I have some like notes here, which is why I'm looking to the left. I remember you mentioning the different ages. I think it was near the end of the book. Mm-hmm. The ages that we're in. And we're in an age, I don't know how to pronounce it, but you probably know since you, since you read the book, <laughs> like, right, right. <laughs> that, um, a, you know, a yogi had predicted what, hundreds of years ago or something we're in a new thousands. age, thousands yeah. of years ago. Okay. What's the age that we're in? Well, it's kind of, um, a little bit debated. So I sort of followed this one teacher, uh, Swami Sri Yukteswarji, and he's a well-known, he's from, I guess, the last century he died, but he was an astronomer, considered an Indian saint, and his calculations have us coming out of, and I probably will mispronounce, so I apologize for the Sanskrit pronunciation, the Dwapara Yuga, and moving into what's called the Golden Age. So mm-hmm. there's four ages in one cycle. Okay. One cycle is about 24,000 years. Mm-hmm. So it's the precession of the equinox. So, you know, we're coming out of Pisces, moving into the age of Aquarius, which mm-hmm. will last about 2000 years, each one. So we have 12 signs of the Zodiac. So it's or constellations. So going around each signs of the Zodiac is one precession. Of the, so that's one age in the yuga calendar as well. That's when in many indigenous cultures, they use that same calendar, Mm -hmm. you know, where we are, the planet in the universe. So in that one yuga, 24,000 year period, there's four stages. One is considered the golden age. um, And that's when people are able to expand their consciousness and awareness. The light is more perceptible. Mm -hmm. The Kali yuga, which is the dark age, is when things are bad and it's hard to like meditate or feel connected to source. Mm-hmm. According to Swami Yukteswarji, um, the darkest time of this current yuga was 500 AD. Ooh. So we're coming out of it, okay. moving rapidly, mm-hmm. expanding our perceptions, which is when people become interested in these topics. Ah. That who am I? You know, mm-hmm. uh, you sense that you're more, our abilities, uh, our extrasensory abilities become expanded too. And it's, according to the yoga calendar, it's happening and it's, okay. it feels it, it feels it. There's more people interested in this subject matter. 
For sure. And yeah. So I, I feel a lot of hope, you know, about so it's that. Tapping into that intuitive power. So it's, um, all right. So when this happens, let's say we're moving into this age and people are becoming more intuitive and aware and extrasensory possibilities are are in their awareness is the theory is that like collectively that starts to make a shift. Exactly. The whole, the whole collective humanity, we move as one. So we are taught history is linear, but it's different in the yoga uh, teachings. It's circular that there have been other ages with high technology. Like for instance, we all look at the pyramids, you know, there's Uh in Egypt doesn't really make sense if we're talking about a linear kind of development of humanity. True. They're now finding all around the globe pyramids everywhere. They don't make sense. There's too many anomalies. Uh-huh. Apparently, you know, there was uh, some advanced advanced civilizations prior. So uh-huh. that would make sense if you if you're, you know, if you're in line with this sort of thinking that they're yugas that because it's not only it's all of our senses, all of our abilities, including our intellectual abilities, expand mm. in the golden ages and then go dark again. It's part of our, like oh, the wheel, interesting. It's the uh-huh. wheel that we're on in this realm, according yeah. to a Buddhist term. Yeah. Okay. So, so yeah. fascinating. I had a friend who was training in um, traditional Chinese medicine years ago, and she talked about the concept of time a circular is all around us. Like she's like, imagine a bubble versus in the West. We often think of time as, as linear, like Mm -hmm. there's the future and we point ahead of us and there's the past and we point behind us or you, it's always a fun party trick to go like point to your future and your past left and right and see what people do. (laughs) You know, (laughs) right. But she did talk about it as this other concept of this circular time. Right. So it's, it's a, it's a slow kind of obviously 24th, you know, we're the age of Aquarius is uh-huh. a different age. Pisces was considered a more masculine energy, not in a sexual gender way, just more uh-huh. uh, what would traditionally be known as masculine energy. Aquarius moving into more feminine type energy, more nurturing, more creative, less logical, analytical, that sort of difference. So it's, you know, very slow process because it's over uh-huh. 2000 years but it's it's interesting to know that not that yoga doesn't teach anything that you have to believe this is true mm-hmm. these are just ideas from this time mm-hmm. and this philosophy and it's food for thought you don't have to believe in anything or have an opinion it's just expanding the ways we think about things and linear mm-hmm. thinking is very helpful you know in terms of getting things done and functioning Mm-hmm. practical but it's showing really, up for your yoga class right <laughs> like, it's very helpful thing, like it's at three o'clock <laughs> yeah <laughs> just like our mind and our thoughts are very helpful you know yoga is according to the ancient text the quieting of the mind mm-hmm. that's what yoga is the yoga sutras tell us and the mind's not bad though thoughts aren't bad it's just <laughs> what we're taught in yoga is that they're not who we are and if we don't know that Yes. We think I'm a body and I'm a mind. Yeah. And that's me. Mm -hmm. And yoga says, if you think that it's a great tragedy, Mm. you have a body, you have a mind, but when you quiet the mind, that's when you can know who you truly are. 
touch your true nature, your, your true self. And if you never do that, if you don't know enough to do that, you can live your whole life without tapping in. And then you over-identify with the mind. You look for happiness in all the wrong places. Mm-hmm. You don't understand why you're never satisfied. It's the spinning wheel. It's not easy to quiet the mind because our whole world is, our, our senses, everything's making us look outward to the external. Mm-hmm. And yoga says, wait, like a turtle, go inward. So it's like against everything we've ever done. And we're not going for quieting the mind totally, just quieting it down, quieting it down. Mm-hmm. Over time, yes, it will quiet. But if you think of that, it can be discouraging. It's just quieting it down a little bit with these practices. And it really does change everything. And to me, it's so simple, not easy, but it's so simple. And so many people just have not contemplated that just because it hasn't been offered. Yes. Which true. is really sad. True. Really sad. That's true. Yeah. Or they they do tend to focus on the physical, like I can't touch my toes, so I shouldn't go to a yoga class. Which is, you know, any yoga teacher will tell you, well, that's why we go to yoga class. Like, you know, not just to touch our toes. That was my point is to like, there's so much more there to it, to quieting the mind, to picking up on the spiritual practices, to tapping inside to the sense of essence. That's not the body and not the mind. Like, who are you truly your essence? And being able to get a sense of that, I think that is really difficult for people. We're mm-hmm. often, we're so focused on productivity, like I am what I do. Like I have to be productive to be worthy or to feel anything. Whenever I hear that from someone, I'm like, oh, that's so sad. You know, like I grew up that way too, feeling like that, very much a Anglo-Saxon work ethic, I'll call it, yeah, you know, the Quaker work ethic or something. Um But as I begin to practice yoga, move into yoga, do my own emotional work, whether that's on the mat or off and therapy and hypnosis and that type of thing, it was tapping into a sense of myself as as worthy, period. Tapping into that sense of essence, though. I mean, someone can tell you that. I had a therapist tell me that, actually, when my beloved therapist I saw for many, many years, and she said, well, you're you're worthy just simply by being you. Like you don't have to prove anything, do anything. And I was like, what? <laughs> like, <Yeah. you> know? <laughs> I don't think so. You know? <laughs> but when you do begin to do some of these practices, you are able to tap in, speaking for myself also, apparently your experience, you are able to tap into like, oh, I do have an essence. I do have a worth, even though I am just here being quiet, contemplating, Mm -hmm. tuning in. I don't have to do to um, prove any of that. It's okay to just be. Mm -hmm. And I think for me initially, you know, years ago, if someone told me that, I don't think I would have believed them, Mm -hmm. that there's this stillness that's so fulfilling and within. But when you actually experience it, like through um, Savasana, where you lay down and the teacher says, relax your toes, your ankles, your and they literally walk you through your body as you're relaxing each, then focus on your breath. Notice your thoughts, let the thoughts float by. Like probably this is, I'm not a hypnotherapy expert. You are, That's, but mm-hmm. isn't that basically going into that, that similar state 
Oh, yes. And touching for yourself, experiencing for yourself this, this quality, this nature, this, this within you, what's there. Now, that's a lifelong journey of, of that experience. But when you even just get a glimpse, and that may happen in a yoga class at some gym, it's the weirdest thing. But when a teacher walks you through, it takes 10 minutes, and then all, and you come out, I, I mean, the first time it happened to me, I stumbled out of class. Like, oh. what was that? Yeah. And it was, and that's not unusual, even for brand new yogis, yes. beginners, to have a, an experience for themselves. Because it's very hard for someone, again, I, I, especially when you're brought up in this country, you're educated, you, you know, you might not believe what people tell you. There's a lot of stuff out there, but yoga is the practice of experiencing it for yourself. You don't have to believe anyone, experience for yourself, do these practices for yourself. Um, yogis kind of promise these ultimate stages of realization that are really crazy really like like we all have superpowers if you believe these texts mm-hmm. you, don't <laughs> True. To, you don't have to believe it but practice for yourself and see the real applicable practical benefits mm-hmm. in your life it's amazing mm-hmm. True. Well, I think that's a good note to end on. And could you tell people where to find you and where to pick up the book? And the name again is Threads of Yoga, Themes, Reflections, and Meditations to Weave into Your Practice by Pamela Selig. Oh, thanks. Well, it should be on Amazon and in any bookstore. Um, And my website is my name, PamelaSelig.com. Everything's there about classes and the book, etc. So thank okay, you so great. much. Yes. And that's a, a double E people, S E E L I G dot com. Pamela before it. Pamela, are you still teaching? Yes. With the pandemic, I've gone online um, mm-hmm. and just a meditation course. It's just a okay. three week uh, meditation course for beginners just to get people started so they have a nice home practice. So that info is on the website. Wonderful. Wonderful. And her website will be in the show notes as well so that you can click over there easily and perhaps take a course from Pamela. So thank you again for being here. Thank you. truly enjoyed today's episode. Remember that you can get free hypnosis downloads over at my website, drlizhypnosis.com, D-R-L-I-Z hypnosis.com. I work all over the world doing hypnosis. So if you're interested in working with me, please schedule a free consultation over at my website and we'll see what your goals are and if I can be of service to you in helping you reach them. Finally, if you liked today's episode, please subscribe to the podcast or tell a friend. That way, more and more people learn about the power of hypnosis. All right, everyone. Have a wonderful week. Peace. This podcast is not mental health treatment, nor should it replace mental health treatment. If you need therapy or hypnotherapy, 
please seek treatment from a trained professional.